I'm John DiLiberto, and you're hearing the Echoes podcast from PRX. Today, I've got the complete version of a more recent interview, this one with the giants of ambient post-rock, Hammock. This duo out of Nashville are icons in the ambient guitar scene, and their music appears all over Ricky Gervais's score for his Netflix series, Afterlife, which is brilliant, by the way. Earlier this year, they released the album Love in the Void. It was their pandemic release that saw them returning to a more aggressive sound with drums and guitars that actually sounded like guitars. We also wanted to kind of get back to our roots, get us back into the guitar tunings, get us back into the guitar sonics, just something that is just an immediate thing that's just between he and I. That's right. And we fell in love with playing the guitar again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's been really very exciting to to get back into it. We'll hear about connections, trauma, sobriety, therapy, religion, and more when I bring you the complete hammock interview. That's all ahead. Christmas is coming, and we have all kinds of gifts for the Echoes lover in your life. We not only have the t-shirt, but lots of other items that have the Echoes logo so you can show the world where the chill resides. The sweatshirts, hoodies, insulated mugs, and more. Go to echoes.org, click on store, and select new products. Just go to echoes.org. And we've even got a Christmas ornament there. Once again, that's echoes, E-C-H-O-E-S. Dot org, O-R-G. So, back in January this year, I talked with Mark Bird and Andrew Thompson of Hammock on the Riverside.fm app. Both musicians got long, shaggy hair, Andrew's dark brown locks substantially longer than Mark's dirty blonde fringe. They are clustered around a single microphone in Mark's studio, and like much of their music, it's shadowy. Well, good to see you guys again. Good to see you, too. Good to see yeah. you as well. So this new album, Love in the Void, as usual, you guys always take the dark side <laughs> of things. Uh, <laughs> what does that title mean? Well, it's not as negative as it comes across. I knew that whenever we chose that, people would think, oh, yeah, they've been reading existentialism or something. But it's kind of a reference to coming out of the pandemic and making our last album elsewhere kind of isolated you know we started out with this solitude you know we're creatives we are used to working with our heads down and but that solitude kind of started turning into isolation and we realized how much we needed human connection even with people that might annoy you you know just something to pull you out of yourself solitude began to feel a little bit like a void and so maybe not a reaction but a response to all of that was to make a record in a studio with more humans interacting with each other and getting back to where we just kind of camp out in a studio together and have immediate reactions to things in addition to just mine and Andrew's opinion. And then I think the other thing I think it would be important just on a personal level for me, um, you know, I got, I got fully sober eight and a half years ago and um, it was a lot like coming out of a void, but uh, the people that helped me were the love in the void. And um, it was dark, but I, I, I say this about, you know, anything that feels like a wound or, or a type of void, it could be the very thing that pushes you towards growth, pushes you towards change. 
the pain doesn't have to be ongoing if you use the pain as as kind of a springboard to get to something else and so despite that that sense of void and and that kind of dark place that i was in the people who helped me were like you know a type of god with skin on you know and they mm-hmm. they uh they helped me in the midst of that kind of void existence um well i'm not sure i had known about you becoming sober i didn't know that was uh an issue so what eight and a half years ago so was it drink or drugs or drink, everything drink. drink yeah yeah i mean i you know i don't have a problem with psychedelics or i'm not the you know booze police or anything like that i, I have no problem no trouble with that um it just i think um went through a dark period some struggles and and um Alcohol ended up being something that became, you know, it, it, it's not a healthy coping device, you know. <laughs> so I, I kind of had a feeling there was something going on like that from the lyrics of some of the tunes, especially yeah. um, Undoing. Yes. Yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Andrew's the one that's, that came up with I Do It To Myself. And, you know, we have these conversations where it's like, you know, um, the worst thing that I'm dealing with is sometimes the way I think, you know? Uh, I mean, I think the primary addiction is being addicted to the way I think about and process things. And so, yeah, definitely it has that element. Um, I think it kind of captures the type of sense of desperation that can come whenever you're in those dark places. Yeah. And um, Christine's vocal on this, I love, and it reminded me of, Kate Bush's vocal on Peter Gabriel's Don't Give Up. Doesn't sound Ooh. anything like that. Right. Right, right. But the effect of it. Absolutely. Yeah. That's that's a high compliment. That's yes. that's really nice. Yeah. She'll be happy to hear you say she that. She will. I will tell her that. <laughs> <laughs> she was like the voice that was comforting you in that song. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, and it and it was, you know, it was difficult on us, and that's from one of the primary reasons, because we've been together, no kids. You know, coming up on uh, you know twenty three years, and before that we dated for three years, and so, you know, we're a partnership, and um, that began to dwindle away. When one of us is not functioning, you can only go so far carrying the other. You know, eventually you you have to, if you want to save it, you got to make some changes, and it was really difficult. And the truth is, is it was marriage counseling, the marriage counselor that said, you know, Mark, if you just go, just try some kind of outpatient program, your rate of success will go up. So Christy was like, will you do that? And I'm like, okay, whatever. But eventually it was the best thing that happened to me. Ah, and to yeah. us, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's good because you guys seem great together. So do you write the lyrics, Mark? Are all the lyrics yours? or No, Andrew? not all the lyrics, no. I think that do it to myself, that uh, the undoing. Is that undone? Und- is that what it undoing. is? Undoing. Undoing. Yeah, yeah. That was both of us. Uh, the... Um, uh, uh, denial of endings is me, but untruth is Andrew. It's in this lies, Andrew. So it's become much more of a mixed bag lately. Whereas I used to be the primary lyric writer, now it's it's more both of us. Uh, yeah, but we're always bouncing things off of yeah. one another. It, uh, it it's rare that it's just like lyrics done. You yeah. know, if there is a lyric, you right. know, we're, we're we're always kind of going back and forth just to find the. The, the best thing for the song, you know. And we both are like title hunters, you know. We are always like using life to to catch up on things that people say, you know, for a title. Like a perfect example is It's Okay to Be Afraid of the Universe, 
that was because we chose to make this album with other human beings and our curmudgeon type engineer who's a younger guy. We really love him. Scotty. He'd vape up and his whole attitude would change. <laughs> and, and and one day we were talking and I don't remember. What do you remember what we were talking about? It was like a post-lunch thing. We were just kind of getting back into the groove of the, in the studio. Yeah. And we were saying something. He looked down at the floor and kind of said under his breath, well, it's okay to be afraid of the universe. And I said, what did you just say? And he said, what? What do you mean? I said, did you, is that something you heard? Is that a book you've read? What is that? Is that like a Carl Sagan type of podcast or something that I don't know about? And he said, uh, no, man. I mean, I just kind of said it. You know, I said, well, that's going to be a title for our next record. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's interesting because my first impression, um, not only from the title, but from the song itself, um, was that this was something, we've talked about this in previous interviews, you're ambiguity about religion yeah yeah and i i heard that in the title and it was also kind of an intensity to the song you know i mean it builds to this incredible climax about three quarters through but then it drops down into this really gentle refrain like someone hugging you and saying it's okay yes yeah yeah i i think we were at the point of discussing whether we should go as big as we went. And that's when Scotty just kind of looked down at the floor <laughs> and gave us the inspiration to do it. Honestly, I think right after that, the rest of that afternoon, we spent just going yeah. huge on that song. That was, that was that was one of those where, like, really being in the room together made the biggest difference. You know, we wanted to kind of capture in that kind of middle section of leaving the room mics on, trying to capture kind of a, a natural talk, talk type ambience to it, you know? And so in that middle section, all the room mics are on. You can hear the drummer moving around. If you listen real close on headphones, there's some cool movement going around. And, and yeah, that song is so different. I, I love it because there's not a section that once, once a section is over, it doesn't come back. It, there's not a refrain of it. And so I think there's seven different sections to it. And, um, and I mean, we love that piece. We kind of think that we were almost going to call the record. It's okay to be afraid of the universe. And as far as the religious ambiguity, I just feel like, you know, uh, um, I'm all for oneness with the universe. I've sensed that that's one of the things that propelled me into sobriety. I went to a silent retreat at a monastery in Big Sur, California, had kind of this experience. And I was like, I think I need to make some changes. Right. And I, I felt, you know, this wonderful kind of like maybe courage to do it. But at the same time, what I want to say is that the romanticism with the universe is that it's also trying to kill you. <laughs> yes. You wander out far enough into it. <laughs> and it's okay to be afraid of that. <laughs> That's funny. Um, you know, your, your vocal sound, do you both sing? We both do sing, yeah. yeah. Right. How did you arrive at that? It does remind me of some other bands, like Slow Dive a bit, in terms of the sound of your vocals, the harmonies that you do. This guy right here does not like having his voice clear, and he <laughs> likes to bury it in harmonies. He's great with harmonies, right? And in a way, that has kind of created the hammock vocal sound. you know. Um, and I think that early on, we tried to treat the in vocal like an instrument. You know, and kind of just blend into the track and um, and do more oohs and ahs. But with this record, I think it's a little more straightforward. But yes, it's an intentional vocal sound. And our engineers that have worked with us 
don't like us for that reason. <laughs> uh, and we keep trying to tell them, like, they're like, can you just send a dry track? And we're like, we will. But when the mix is done, you're still going to have a very wet vocal track. Right. You know? Right. And so we send the dry track and we end up using <laughs> you know, the, the wet track. But And I understand that. But, but um, uh, it's also, I think, just a lack of confidence that we're both guys that are kind of self-conscious about our vo- vocals, you know? And... We try to make the music the primary motivator here, you know. Yeah, uh-huh. the vocals need to be in service to the to the song, and if the emotion, if you're in that emotional space based on a sound, it's the same way with guitar. You know, you find that sound, and you're like, whoa, or that tuning, and you you are just immediately on that track. You you get the emotion out of it, you know. Where it, I think if either of us tried to do just dry vocals, it, we would be so self conscious that. You wouldn't get that. You wouldn't get the performance. You wouldn't. We. It wouldn't sound the way that we wanted. You know. And I think the freedom of like being something that's more primarily instrumental. And I've said this a few times that you know, music is the most immediate art form in that when you walk into a record store, you can swim in this atmosphere. Like immediately, it takes. You don't have to sit in front of the painting and absorb it. You don't have to absorb the poem. You don't have to sit in front of the film. Organized sound waves can get into your ears and make your chest hurt, you know, and put a lump in your throat without words. And we live in Nashville, where everybody's trying to write the best lyric in the world. The best words. And, and <laughs> that's great. I mean, I respect that because yeah. there's really great writers. But without a linear narrative to follow, I think it gives the listener more freedom to use their own imagination to go on whatever journey they want to. So we never want a vocal to distract from that. And sometimes you can just have a song with four words, like yes, oh yeah, we and and yeah, we yes. we head down that path for sure. Yeah. It, it, it turns into a mantra, more <laughs> exactly. or less. You know, yeah, it's just something that kind of lulls you into a, a space that you know <laughs> you want to be in. You want to be in, but it's in this lie that's yes. what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, I mean, a very very emphatic <laughs> lyric. I think that's also kind of a, you know, Andrew wrote that, but I think it's in reaction to how much uh, people are living in alternate realities and facts are up for debate these days. Uh But you just saying that with four words. Exactly. Andrew. Yes. (laughs) Well, you know, it's it's totally subjective depending on where your headspace is when you're listening to it. You know, where our headspace was when we wrote it. It may be one thing, but you know, it's if if you're going to take it one, another direction, that's that's we're all for that. Yeah, I mean, you might be lying to yourself, but I think the motivation for it was for us, like, you know, a little more political. Just just kind of like we're losing grip on reality. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> simple reality. Yeah. One thing, this album and your previous release, which you only put out digitally elsewhere. You bring in the sound of guitars back, I think. Your guitars are actually sounding like guitars. Still tons of processing, but they sound like guitars. Yeah, that, that was very purposeful. Yeah. Why, Andrew? I think a lot of it had to do with going through the pandemic. And the previous record, we had done so many sessions where we had had players, you know, other than ourselves... Uh, on these songs and in some songs there would be maybe two or three tracks of, of us playing and then the rest of it's you know horns and strings and choir and whatnot and I love doing that stuff but we also wanted to kind of get back to our roots 
get us back into the guitar tunings, get us back into the guitar sonics, just something that is just an immediate thing that's just between he and I. That's right. And, of course, on Love in the Void, there are some more strings and horns and things, but there, it's not as focused in that direction. But it's very purposeful on our part. And we fell in love with playing the guitar again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's been really very exciting to, to get back into it. Yeah, well, it sounds great, and it certainly does remind me of your, your earlier recordings a little bit more. And it's more open than the previous four or five recordings before elsewhere. Yes. Right, right, right. It's, Which it's were de- very, boy, they had a heavy atmosphere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the song Release, as I'm listening to it, I'm wondering, is this a death song or a salvation song? It is... Uh, both and how about that um i think you know the video is coming with that i think on the day of the of, of our official release it's a real exciting video i told david out the guy who's brilliant and doing we're working with him again so we're returning to our roots even with videos and i just was like man faster edits you know i mean hammock there's used to like long shots and slow motion you know and we wanted like more immediacy and i think uh it originally was just called release release not just release because it builds up to such an emotional thing that it feels like a release. And honestly, it's it's a little bit back to, John, just dealing with the insanity that's coming through the news. And I don't mean because of the media. I just mean what they're reporting on is insane. And uh, you need a release, you know. And so it is both like, I wish we could, could do away with all of this and have a rebirth. So it can be both and. All right. It is a crazy time that we're living in. Um, yeah, I wonder about it sometimes. You guys are what? You're both in your early 50s, very yeah. early? Yeah. Yeah. So God's becoming memories. I hear some anger in that crescendo. <laughs> <laughs> None at all. <laughs> yeah, what? You don't think so, Andrew? Oh, you're, you're being sarcastic. I'm being, I'm being facetious. <laughs> facetious. <laughs> Where's that uh, anger coming from, Andrew? <laughs> Pick your poison, man. <laughs> uh, I mean, look, Andrew and I, it's, it's one of our favorite moments on the entire album when it gets in that middle section and we're letting the drummer Jake, Jake Finch, God bless him, just go crazy with fills. It's the most fills of anything we've ever done. It's There's more cymbal bashing on this record. and <laughs> And truthfully, with that particular song, we wrote that. Where did? Where was that? What was that called, Andrew? That place in Texas, Sonic Ranch. Oh yeah, that was Sonic Ranch when we did that. We, we were, were da- there with the kid. We were down there with Matt Kid working on Slow Meadow, and Andrew one night got on the piano and wrote this little thing. I did some like atmospheric guitar, and that was it. We were like, "That's enough invasion of Matt's session." You yeah, know? it was totally like I think he just took a break for a yeah. little bit, and we just happened to be yeah. there in the studio. And, At, and the, then that studio was amazing. Yeah, it was amazing. You could live there. We lived there for a week. But anyway, we want Matt to come up and do what he's doing. He's doing stuff with tape machines now, where he's running stuff through tape machines and taking what you think is just like a normal track and giving it a natural warmth as well as a natural warble. Um, and so we want him to come up, up and just be with us. You know, like I said, this is much more human, uh, more humans, you know, bring them in. And he came up and he said, hey, I kind of took that piece that Andrew wrote and just made it a little more sophisticated. And I was like, cool. <laughs> and so then he said, uh, but I need a middle section. So we all sat around the piano and wrote the middle section together. 
because I could hear this is going to get big. And then he had the out section that he wrote, you know, or after that middle section, he wrote that himself. So we did that from the ground up in the studio. And then that mid middle section, when Jake played the way he did, it felt like this. Yeah, it just felt like you're releasing all of the lies that you were told, all of the things that, you know, tried to form you that you've been trying to be free of. And there's just this buildup. And also, I think it I mean, I know this sounds way over the top, but it's like a foundation crumbling. That's what that middle section sounds like. And when I think about God's becoming memories, I think about civilizations and how at one point they were certain that they were certain, you know. This is it. This is it right here. And God's become memories, whatever those gods are. It could be like, you know, your religious beliefs, but it could be whatever you think it is. It could be your, you know, you think this is going to save you. That's going to save you. And eventually... We have a way as humans just doing ourselves in. <laughs> so, you know, the gods becoming memories, it's like, it's like you're left over with the memories that still affect you. And there's, I think there's a longing for that sense of safety that you had with certainty, but there's also a liberation that comes with the unknowing. Hmm. Wow. Yep, because the change <laughs> is going to come. That's pretty good. <laughs> Pretty good for a song that has essentially three verses, <laughs> three, three lines. <laughs> and see, that song had been in the offing for at least three other Hammock records. Yeah, wow. But it, but not in the shape and form that it was. For that this middle one. section didn't exist in those other. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Right. We kept working on it. We kept stripping it back. We kept changing it. And then when the kid came in and uh, and presented it, you know, in the studio. For this record, we were like, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's what needed to happen. So what is with the razor blade end of release? <laughs> okay, so that happened once again because we were in the studio with human beings. Scotty, the one, the brilliant one that came up with It's Okay Afraid to Be Afraid of the Universe. We went to lunch, came back. He said, hey, listen to this. And it just was this immediate stop like you're hitting a wall. And we kind of thought, that's cool. I like that, you know. Um Let's go with that. And so uh, that's just wasn't really overthinking anything. We weren't sure we wanted to go that route. But once the mixing guy got a hold of it and we played it for a couple people and we knew that that kind of like soft sound at the beginning of God's Becoming Memories would go right into it. I don't know. Just made sense. It's a different way of ending a song. <laughs> it's 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 a shocking way to end a song. Yeah, <laughs> we, we just needed a record scratch at the end. <laughs> yeah, honestly. Yeah, it, it makes it very difficult to segue. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and it reminds me, there's a song on King Crimson is Red that does that too. Like it just has this big build up, and then suddenly, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that take, record is so that's so so good. They all so, so unbelievable. Good. The, the the Adrian Ballou three, those just stunning. Well, he, he's not on that. Oh, he's not on Red. No, no, I Red, thought he was. No, no, Red, Red. You're th- you're thinking of the Discipline group. Yeah, this is the the group before Discipline. Oh, I got you. I got you. This is the Bruford, uh, John Wetton group. I got you. Yeah, Bruford's okay. Cool. I would stare with you into the sun forever. Clearly a love song. A really slow waltz. And I'm not sure you guys have ever done that time signature before. You probably have. We we do quite a bit in yeah. six and in three. It doesn't sound like it. Right. <laughs> right. 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 Uh, we, I think we've really leaned into the swing on that one. Uh, and that's why it 
that has the waltz feel. And I think that it's it's okay to stare into this. I would stare into the sun with you forever. Um, I don't know. I think I think that we felt like the record was maybe getting a little too heavy, um, and we wanted like I mean a more I say more typical hammock type sounding song where the drums are softer, a little more subdued in the mix. The buildup is is with the melodies of the guitar as opposed to distortion or you know walls of sound like that. But it still has that great ending. But it's more of a traditional type hammock ending where what's bringing the uh, power is more melody lines as opposed to more layers of distortion. Right. And I was thinking that the crescendo, by comparison to uh, It's in the Lie, it's much more triumphal. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Well, there's a sweetness. It's romantic. Uh, Wow. This is a great album, guys. I think a lot of people are going to be happy with this one. Thanks, John. Um, Thanks, man. I was so bummed out that you didn't release uh, hey, elsewhere on, on CD. We're working on it. Because, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's kind of, kind of a tradition that... I, I know. I, I think Johnny has some things in the office. But here's what happened. <laughs> Love of the Void was not a cheap record to make because we involved more humans, and so we weren't able to press elsewhere. And that's what happens when you're self-released and you, you know, have those limitations. Now, Absorbed in Light, that is just a gorgeous instrumental track. That is such a beautiful song. Maybe, I don't know, could be one of your most melodic tracks in a while. Love that. I love yeah. that you love it. Um, Andrew, wasn't that? Was, that was an undercurrent song. It was. Yeah. It was. Okay, so we did this thing on Bandcamp where these long forms called undercurrent. And um, years it was a few years ago. And that was left over. Uh, it's It's an older tune, but... We had this loop, but but the drummer, Jake, once again, recreated that himself. There's like three different drum uh, sets on that record. I mean, on that one song. Yep. Um, and so that, that the intensity of the rhythm section going underneath and building gives room for, you know, just melody to carry it. Um, and so uh, I personally think that the segue between um, Undone into absorbed in light i think it's pretty powerful i just what i know is that i call, i told johnny our manager i said the beginning of that song is what i call eye squinting song it's like you're you squint your eyes you ease into this mood and you want to go for a drive that's what i feel like the first verse of that song feels like and it's undoing undoing sorry you get that straight yeah. for future interviews <laughs> <That's right>. undoing <laughs> undoing it was called something completely yeah, different we're still, for so we're long we're still operating on the yeah. scratch titles in our i tell you, I, I usually do that I, I frequently screw up titles when i'm doing the interviews <laughs> that song it gets kind of psychedelic at the end that kind of weird it kind of tremolo guitar but it's yeah. actually more warbly than that in the way Oh, I love that you you picked up on that because I mean that's turning the tremolo you know manually with your hands and moving it around the stereo spectrum, just to kind of create this kind of sense of um, you know uh, swimminess. Yeah, swimminess where you're just a little confused, maybe a little bit, but in a good way. Yes, it's definitely got a psychedelic element. You know, hey, I have to find a psychedelic outlet somehow now that I'm sober. <laughs> And this is it. <laughs> <laughs> We've talked a lot about death over the last five, six, eight years with you guys. And you're still kind of contemplating those things. Will we ever be ourselves again? Yeah. 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 I mean. Whose hallway is it? Ah, uh, 
that song. <laughs> um, I think denial of endings is the one that contemplates death the most because my grandmother, the only house I've known since the day I was born is my grandmother and my grandfather's house. And it is a killer house because they had uh, a Frank Lloyd Wright disciple. Yeah. You know, one of his students designed it with my grandfather and it's kind of got a Zen thing. I imagine it was the only house in El Dorado, Arkansas that had a gigantic statue of the Buddha (laughs) (laughs) and a fountain around it. It was beautiful. It was so gorgeous. And they had a Zen type garden and all that. And that house is such a comfort for me, you know? I mean, I lived there because my stepdad couldn't keep a job, and my grandmother was like a lighthouse in my life. Uh, She had a hallway that was just filled with pictures, and her husband, my grandfather, died very young at 58, and she chose never to remarry. But she kept hanging up pictures in the hall, and I used to walk down that hallway, you know, and look at the photos, and think about how many people have gone, you know, and disappeared. And I got to be honest, like one time I was, you know, on LSD walking down the hallway, looking at it and it hit me that I'm going to outlive a lot of these people, but maybe not, you know, you don't know. And so the faces on the hallway where it used to can sometimes stir up these happy memories, but sometimes it is the reminder that, you know, someday you're going to not be here. You know, you're, you're going you're gonna to go away just like everyone else. And here's the rub, I think, of the song is that with the choices I made sometimes, the risk I took with my life, to, you know, to rebel in defiance against some of the religious upbringing that I had. You know, that's, you know, hey, like, like out of all the people on the wall, I'm the one that's outliving everybody. How did that happen? You know, and also, Andrew, you know, Andrew's. My dad's getting over a quadruple bypass heart attack. His dad had a heart attack. His mom had something happen. We're at that age where our parents are, you know, where the roles are reversing. It, it gets worse. Yeah. That's what my dad. Yes. You, yeah. <laughs> it gets worse. <laughs> yeah. 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 My, my, father, my father's gone. He died um, five years ago. Uh, he, was, he lived a long life, although the end of it was not great. But he lived until he was, I think, 88. And my mother, her head is still there, which is almost worse because yeah. she knows how bad her situation is. Uh-huh. You know, physically, she's just lost all mobility and stuff. You know, she's not in a home yet. My sister takes care of her up in Massachusetts. But, um, yeah, it gets worse. So, you're, yeah, so you're going through it, too. I yeah. Mean, you're, just, you're just deeper and in, in, down the road a little bit. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's it's different. I mean, I'll, I'll say that on Untruth, you know, Andrew wrote that after getting some unsettling news about his mom. Yeah, she had been diagnosed with the Huntington's, but she's, you know, in her early 80s now, which is very unusual for that disease. It normally, it killed my uncle in his mid-60s. So they found it very unusual that it showed up as late as it did, and she's barely on the spectrum. But it was for the family. It was, a, it was still very much a shock, and it's and it's something on that side of the family that's you know that, that people are are having to deal with. Right. That was sobering for everybody. And I very think sobering. I think John, the thing about art, uh, what we get to do is that you know when you interviewed us for Mysterium, I think we told you that we were planning on doing more of an electronic album at the time, mm-hmm. and and this tragedy happened, and and we just couldn't do it. We had to shift gears. The music had to. It had to relate with what was going on in our lives, you know. And that's the thing about us is that 
we translate them or the music translates us. I don't know. You know, it's, it's, it's both ways, but we try to translate these things. It's not that we're looking for pain. It's not that we're looking for darkness. If anything, no. Mysterium taught us both that romanticizing darkness is not a good thing to do because the darkness will hit you. Whether you're ready for it or not, eventually you'll get a taste of the real stuff. And so I think, though, that the way we process and interpret it is through music. I mean, really, that is... Andrew and I work together a lot, you know, and we make music a lot. And it's much more of almost like a processing. We Like, sure, I've been to therapy, but music is a really good way to process what's going on in your life, you know? It's it's, it's as cathartic for us as it is... For people that listen to it, you absolutely, know? Mm-hmm. it uh, we literally are our own best uh, therapy sessions. I think <laughs> it feels like. <laughs> well, you know what? Who do you think is listening to your music now? You've been around for what twenty years? Eighteen, eighteen, as far as releases. But yeah, we've been right. You know, yeah. I think music. Everything has changed so much in that twenty-year span. I think you probably knew more who you were talking to in 2005 than you do in 2023. That is uh, very true. I think what I would say is that to be the type of band we've chosen to be with a signature sound, despite whether we have an album with a lot of drums and guitars or orchestrated or just really kind of ambient droning, there's still kind of like a signature sound to it, you know, that comes through. And... I think for us, that's all we really pay attention to and care about. And but we do dive into some, you know, new things. Look at things. Um, the reason we hired the people that we did on this record, we hired Chad Howitt to help us with co-production for the first time. He mixed as well. He mixed as well. I mean, he's younger. Our drummer is younger. The t- the two engineers we used were younger, and it's just good to have that energy around you. And it's good because you hear them talk about things they're listening to. We're not closed-minded. I want to. I mean, I want to explore till the day I die. You're right. I'm not sure what our niche audience is now, but what I know is that if you go on our YouTube channel and you read the comments, it's like they're having a therapy session. They're very kind people for the most part. I would say 98% of our audience just feel connected in this weird way, and they help each other. And so when we make music, I think we're thinking of if this is helping us with our processing of grief it might help other people too you know or if it's lifting our spirits then maybe it will do the same for them you know and so if you get it you get it we don't expect everybody to get it we got record deal offers we turned them down we want to own our journey you know and so whoever listens to hammock and gets it that's all we care about (laughs) when was the last time you actually played live (laughs) Oh, boy. <laughs> I have to dig back in the cobwebs. Um, the last shows that we did were probably here in Nashville. Is that right? Yeah, we did it for a photography exhibit. That's right. Yeah. That's right. That was, uh, gosh, 2013 or 2011, maybe? Something uh, like that. Yeah. So that's a long time enough. So you guys don't consider touring as like even an option for you? No, we consider playing live an option i don't know that touring is something that we're looking i mean look i'll say it i'll put it out there we are talking about doing one big show with a year's worth of promotion to get people to fly in from and make an event out of it and like a hangout for the weekend 
and like really, really do it right. That's the thing about Andrew and I is that like we just want to put on a good show and honor the music. And sometimes when you're playing in clubs, you know, that's not what's going to happen. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> no, no. Should make a, a festival out of it. Yeah. <laughs> big, big At least ears. a day. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'll tell you this, John. The guy who we came closest to getting us to, to, to turn us into a live act, and I can't remember his name, I feel really bad, but he was the guy that found Fish. And when he found Fish, they were playing to seven people. He was going through cancer treatment, so he was going to Germany to get these cancer treatments. He was filled with anxiety, and his wife, I mean, his girlfriend at the time said, you need to get your hammock on. And he was like, what is that? So he started listening to our music, and he was like, I foresee that these things could be events like fish. He's, he's like, you're nothing like fish as far as your music, but there is a psychedelic element to it. There is a, a kind of gathering that if people get it, they get it and they want to be around people that get it. And so, man, we went down the road with it, but then he died of his cancer and mm. we didn't get to pursue that. We had a showcase set up in New York and everything. So um, it's definitely something that we would like to do. I told I mean, Andrew and I have talked about this. We both said, like, God, do we want to go to our deathbed or or get so old we can't do it without playing another show? But it it does Mm. seem like, especially with the way we we went about this record, that the pieces for that sort of uh, the elements that we need for for our comfort, for one, and, and to get it done properly seem to be lining up kind of in spite of us. (laughs) Yeah. So... And that's a lot of times that's what how we kind of approach songwriting. You know, sometimes a song will take its turn in its own way. And th- it seems like this situation is kind of taking that turn. And and hopefully, you know, we can kind of get that lined up. Because we're getting a young a lot of younger guys like saying, hey, man, look, we, we'll back you up. You know, we'll we'll do this. We'll we'll we'll, we'll design your light show or. Hey, uh, we could do some of these things with iPads and all th- these different things that, like, we're, it's almost getting to the point where we have no excuse mm-hmm. to not do it. How are you making money now? Because you're not touring, and that's how bands are making money now. They're not making money from their releases. Um, you know, we lucked out and got a really good, solid guy that we call St. John. His name is Johnny Pleasant. <laughs> And he has uh, both our priest, therapist, manager, um, counselor, you know, all of those things. But when streaming first happened, started happening, I think Spotify was still Merlin. It was only in the UK. And Johnny was like, this is is where it's going. This is what's happening. So we got in early on that and got dragged into it. I think vinyl sales, licensing, film, TV, combined with streaming. I mean, look. You got Spotify, you got Apple Music, you got Amazon, you got Pandora. If it's just, if you own everything, which we do, then you do have a chance of making money if you can get enough people to listen. The problem now, if you came out, if we came out now trying to get through the traffic and, you know, garbage, sorry, that's crowding everything, we wouldn't be able to make a living like we do. But the fact that we started before streaming and got a built-in audience that way, yeah. they followed us into it, and then that's expanded. You know, I will tell you that when we first were Spotify, maybe they were a little more, you know, generous with p- playlists. But these days, a lot of people say we can pay you in exposure. 
Well, that doesn't pay my bills. You know, I mean, great. So we are strategic when we do things that we don't get paid a lot of money. For. Well, you know, I don't mean a lot of money, but like what we normally would get paid if the exposure makes sense. But just uh, you have to be really careful because you end up, you know, doing a lot of things for very little money, hoping that more people will see it. And I think we've made pretty good decisions. A lot of it has been guidance from Johnny. You know, we did a video game, uh, Far Cry 5, five. Yeah. and we remade some of those tracks, and that really opened up a whole new audience to us. So that's how we make our money. It's all of the combined global streaming and also having a really good distribution in Secretly. Secretly gets us out there. We still do physical. We do vinyl. We do special packages of vinyl. And we do a lot of streaming, and they're talking to actual human beings who, you know, um, curate the playlist, you know. But but the problem with this kind of music, John, is that like a lot of people that that are so much younger than us can take some of the more ambient stuff and think we're just making music to try to get on a sleep playlist or a focus playlist, you know. Mm -hmm. And honestly, Love in the Void is a reaction to everyone telling us how much they sleep to our music. <laughs> and what did you say, Andrew? You said something about, you know, um, it's time to wake it's up. It's time to wake up. It's time to wake up. It's good to be awake. It's good, exactly. <laughs> especially especially <laughs> today. Exactly. Well, I remember there was uh, a Nonesuch ad years ago, Nonesuch Records. Yeah, yeah. And this was when New Age was like a real buzzy thing mm -hmm. at the time. So it would be like the early 80s, I guess. And the ad was... We spend one third of our life asleep. Isn't that enough? Yes. <laughs> Man, we would have used that. Oh God, that, is, that. We might use that in the future. Nah. <laughs> it's perfect. And I like, I like, I mean, I think you know this about me, John. I like, I like some new age stuff, you know, but I never really used it to sleep to, you know? It was yeah. like, it was always too engaging for it was, me. Yeah, it's like, yeah. Med, like, like I, I want to listen to this. Like, you have to focus to get it, you mm -hmm. know? No, I I, to I totally agree. Wow, so great to catch up with you guys. You too, John. Yeah, thank, you too, Thanks man. for all the support over the years. Cool. Thank thanks you for having me. us, John. It was a pleasure. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. Bye. I've had so many great interviews with Hammock over the last two decades. Just an incredible band. Their latest album is Love in the Void. You can read my review of it at echoes.org. It was a CD of the month earlier this year. I'll have a link to the album and the review and the posting for this podcast once again at echoes.org. In the Echoes podcast on Thursday, I'll have our 2013 interview with Darkside. Their debut album, Psychic, is getting the 10th anniversary treatment. If you want to ensure interviews like this in the Echoes podcast and the Echoes radio show, make a donation to Echoes on our website, echoes.org. Just hit the support tab at echoes.org and hit it hard. I'm John DiLiberto. This has been the Echoes podcast from PRX. See you next week, tonight on the radio, somewhere in the country, or at Echoes Online right now or whenever you want.